Before I begin my message today, I just want to hopefully uh, offer it up to prayer, uh, to the Lord in prayer, and just ask Him to bless it and help our hearts to hear what we need to hear. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for giving us your word, for it being uh, originated in the heart of your Son. May it just find its way through 21 centuries of time and space uh, into this moment, Lord. And I pray, Father, that as I convey the substance of what it is that we were taught by your son so long ago, that it would find its place in every heart here. And we thank you, Lord, as we trust in faith and believe that that's true. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever tried to do something really difficult and you look for some advice on how it was that you could potentially do that very difficult thing you've never done before? And um, then after discovering that advice, uh, you found it not to be quite true. Now, an example of that is uh, my wife was taking a shower and she said, I've noticed in the last few months that our water pressure is just gotten less and less and less, which is code language to her husband. You need to fix the water thing. And I'm like, I'm not sure exactly what the problem is, but I'll dig into it. And I quickly discovered that the reason why the water wasn't pumping through the shower head the way it needed to is because the pump that did all of that responsibility was pretty tired after 20 years. And I realized that I had never, ever, ever done anything with well pumps in my life. But I do know that with the help of the internet, there are experts just a click away. So I went to a website called WikiHow, And essentially it said, step one, turn off the electricity. Step two, pull the well pump uh, up out of the well casing uh, by just uh, pulling on the black tube until the thing comes up and plops itself down on the ground. That wasn't quite how they said it, but that's how it played out. Step three, cut the wires off of the old well pump and um, remove the well pump from that black hose. Step four, insert the new well pump into uh, the, the, the existing hose, clamp it down, and then solder the wires back together. Step five, drop the well pump back down into the well casing. Step six, turn on the electricity. Step seven, and this would be my step, Tell my wife the water's fixed, no problems, instant expert. What I discovered was when I tried to follow those steps, the person that wrote the WikiHow article, I don't think ever, ever did that job. I think they must have just said, I saw a video one time and now I'm going to tell you how it's done. Well... You know, step one wasn't too hard because I just went down and I found the breaker and I turned it off and I dragged my son Christian out to the well uh, uh, head where it's sticking out of the ground and I thought, if nothing else, I got some backup here. Besides, I'm an expert. I've read the WikiHow article. What more does, do we need to know here? And I thought, I'm going to mentor him on how to do well pumps. And so I just drug him out there with me and I said, Christian, this is how you do it. 
This is how the experts do it. Pulled the cap off, and I said, essentially what we have to do, oh yeah, i got to turn the electricity off. Would you mind going down and turning the electricity off? So he went and turned it off, and then I'm like, yeah, that's important because you don't want to get electrocuted when you're doing this. We almost got electrocuted, but I'm an expert, so I know these things, and I had you turn it off. Then I'm like, this is what we do next. That well is probably 180 feet deep, which means a 30-pound well pump is sitting there at the bottom of that well casing. Now we just simply have to pull it up through this black tube that will just uh, keep scrolling out until it's all out. So I began the process. The expert that I know, the seasoned expert that I am, I realized that, dang, that's heavy. You do about 25, 30 pounds of that, or 25, 30 feet of that, and you're about ready to call 911 because cardiac arrest is getting ready to be an event in your life. And as I'm getting at about 30 feet of pump pulling it out, I'm like, okay, Christian, um, I've, I've done this long enough, and this is really about apprenticing. So I'm going to show you how to do it, and then I'm going to have you do it. So to the degree that I could conjure up some breath, I said, Christian, I need you to come over here and do this. And then he started doing it out. And I said, you're doing good, you're doing good. And after about, you know, 60 feet of it, I'm like, you look like you're getting a little tired. Maybe I should help you out. And then I helped him do the rest of it. So then I said, we got to disconnect the well uh, pump off of the pipe. And we took the clamp off and it wasn't coming off and it wasn't having it and all this stuff. And I said, when in doubt, Get a hacksaw and just cut it off. There are two tools that you need, Christian, in any toolbox. A hammer and a hacksaw. If it doesn't look like a nail, then it must be something that you need to cut with a hacksaw. I know these things because I'm a professional. So we cut it off, put it together, and then we had to solder some wires and made sure the electricity was turned off, and then we started soldering the wires. Now that I can do, and I did, and I showed him one, and then he did another one, and then I said, you're doing so good, I'm going to have you just do the rest, which he did. And um, after we got everything put together, I'm like, oh yeah, there's something that I wanted you to learn from this. According to my understanding, you have to put a type of... Of, of shrink tubing on top of that electrical stuff that is exposed. So, well, we got to undo everything that we did. So you need to take your torch and undo all the soldering, and so all the joints had to be undone, and then we put the shrink tubing on. And I said, let that be a lesson to you, okay? You never want to do that. And now you know the pain of it, right? And Christian's just looking at me, eyes rolling, and put the shrink tubing on, solder back together, heat the tubing up, and I said, you, you don't want to get it too hot like I did just now because you'll melt the tubing. And when a person does that, they've got to take it off and they've got to start over with a new piece. I'm just going to demonstrate how that happens. So this is what you do in case you make a mistake. So I put it back on, heated the tubing, and well, I said, you do it next. And when he got done, his looked a lot better than mine. And I said, you did really good, son. I'm going to redo mine one more time just to make sure that you understand the process. So I redid it and put it all back together, and then we shoved it back into the ground. And I said under my breath, I hope I never, ever have to do that again. And my son Christian, I think, is looking at me like, 
I don't know if dad really knew what he was doing. But he got mentored out of the whole thing and apprenticed into an alternative vocation just in case landscape architecture doesn't fit in. He can always be a well pump removal and repair person. So I feel like I did him a favor in the whole thing. Well, you know, you can look at that scenario a lot of different ways, but I want to look at it this way based on the scripture that we're going to kind of back ourselves into. And that is something that Jesus said that was a critical thing for us to know on the path. It was like the bottom line statement of a message or sermon that he'd just given for three chapters in the book of Matthew. And it is the ending of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, verses 15 and following, based on a sequence of passages that we'll be looking at as we close this out. And if I were to give all that stuff that I just mentioned before sort of tongue-in-cheek, if I'm looking at my kids and I'm saying, I know you're going to be leaving the house or you're, you're, you're already gone and you need to know some things for the road, I would say this is, this is something that you can carry with you. It was a statement that Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And there's just one little piece here that I want to focus on. Let's go ahead and show that again if we can. Jesus said, beware of false prophets. You know, people who pretend that they know what they're doing, but have no idea about what they're doing, who maybe try to make it up as they go along, but in their minds, they're projecting to you that they are experts. You ever heard of any people like that? Beware of those people, because they'll come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you'll recognize them by their fruits. Now why do you think I would even begin to question the credibility of a WikiHow writer? Because he gave me some instructions, and they kind of worked, but I didn't mention there were a few other details that they conveniently left out. And I'm guessing as I'm reading this and I'm thinking about what I just did, they had never done that before. Hopefully, fingers crossed, Christian will never know that I never did that before either. Well, can you see just the, the hypocrisy and the whole thing, the, the blatant, I'm going to project to you something that I'm not? In all of that. And as Jesus is looking at all the people that have been disconnected from God for so long. He takes and just zeroes in on a group of people that have been actually placing huge barriers. Between those people who seek God and the people that um, God in his heart and mind. Views as being disconnected because religious leaders over here. Are pretending to be experts. But in reality. They don't have a clue about what they're doing. They're really good, actually, at saying a lot of things that come from Scripture. They are good at taking the Bible and giving it some meaningful understanding. And they can do it convincingly and even in an influential way. But they did it in such a way that when they said it, there was kind of like an undertone, like, we're getting this right. 
and you're not. And most people felt very inferior whenever they heard these very smart religious teachers apply the word of God to life. And they discussed it amongst themselves oftentimes, like how, how, can, we, how can we even go to church because we can never be good enough, we can never be perfect enough like them. And when Jesus saw what was happening, he discovered something. That they were really good about pointing out the sins in other people that they thought were important sins for a person to focus on. You know the big ones. Like, you didn't wash your hands before you came to church. You know, another big one. You didn't go out into a public display in front of a whole bunch of people and then kneel down and say a bunch of pious prayers so that everybody could know that you were a holy person. You didn't wear the type of robes and the type of dress that said, we are spiritual people, more spiritual than you are. You didn't observe all of the rituals and all of the holy days and all of the activities and all of the responsibilities and all of the things that you have to do in order to be right with God like us. You haven't done those things. And you need to step up your game. And Jesus is just watching this and he's thinking, wow, these guys are really good at pointing out the sins of others. Let's just go to that slide that that, that shows that if we can. It's like, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to tell you about the sins that we're not doing. But here's the problem. There was a whole lot of stuff going on underneath the surface that nobody was even talking about. This was stuff that, well, you couldn't, you couldn't perception manage in front of people. But when you went home or you were in a group of people where you wanted to show power or you wanted to be in control or, 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 or you wanted to um, just kind of show your dark side, well... Jesus said, you're not even talking about that. And what are those things? Let's just show a couple of circles here. These are things that show up a lot in the teachings of the New Testament and in the writings of uh, Paul and and, 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 in Jesus. Uh, It seems like as you look at that red circle with all those red letters in there, the sermons and the sins that the religious leaders were talking about didn't touch those. You know, the ones where you have worldliness and a lack of faith and selfishness and greed and double-mindedness and, you know, on and on and on. It's just very dark stuff that tends to go into our hearts and just stay there and then, and then come out in ways that really are destructive. These are the sins that Paul says are the opposite of the fruit of the flesh, or the fruit of the spirit. They're the fruit of the flesh. And what Jesus observed is the religious teachers who were the self-proclaimed experts were telling everybody, this is how you do your religion. This is how you follow God. But in reality, they just didn't know anything about following God. They were doing their own version of a wiki how, and yet they weren't covering the essential things that needed to be included. And so Jesus starts calling them out, and he says, you're nothing but a bunch of whitewashed tombs. Now, that doesn't mean anything to us, but 
essentially it's just boiled down to mean that you are really good about showing on the outside a certain concept of what it means to be holy, but on the inside, you haven't even begun. And repeatedly, he's describing these religious leaders as people that say one thing in public, but do another thing in private. And that's where it gets kind of tricky, because as a pastor, as I read this, what a false prophet is that Paul, or that, that, that Jesus mentioned, and, and, and Paul elaborates on a little bit later in, in some of his books, is the false prophet is the person who does a really good job of using religious language, of even using religious ideas, of even really kind of flim-flamming you into thinking that they got it all together. And some of us, we've been bamboozled that way, and we've tried to avoid doing that to other people in this role, for sure. But at the end of the day, Jesus says, it's going to happen. You're going to find people who are really good about just kind of doing a Jedi mind trick on you. And you may come away feeling worse about yourself when you get done. But there's always this sense of uneasiness when you're around people like this. Because there's something in your gut saying, something's not right here. But how do I know? How do I find out if this person is who they say they are or doing the right thing? Well, that thing in your gut may be the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit may be saying, you need to take a closer look. And some of us may take a closer look and we're like, man, they're saying all the right things. They're projecting all the right things. I'm not around them enough to know if they're doing the right things. But when you start rubbing shoulders with them like Jesus was doing with these religious leaders, all of a sudden it starts to form a pattern. And that pattern is just a way of saying, I'm hearing one thing, but I'm seeing another. And Jesus said, that's what you pay attention to. If you have anyone that is trying to influence your life and you are wondering if they're trustworthy or not, look at their fruit. Do the words match? Do they line up with what they see happening? And if they don't, turn the other direction and run as fast as you possibly can. Because they'll trip you up. They'll mind trick you. They will do things that will cause you to be confused about even your own faith. Like, I hear one thing, but I see another. And Jesus said, the only thing that matters is the fruit. And I want to tell you guys something. As a believer, you will hear a lot out there. And sometimes, even in religious venues, you'll hear things. And at every turn, the only way you can make sense of what is happening around you is to say, what effect is it having? What's the fruit? Is it good or is it bad? And if it's not good, then there's a chance that something, that, that, that I'm being perception managed. And Jesus was calling him out. And he just kept calling out the religious leaders over and over and over again. And he kept surfacing that, that red list. And he kept showing that on, in, in public places. And they just kept getting angrier and angrier and angrier that they were found out. That they, in, in effect, were liars. 
And it's a harsh statement. A lot of, a lot of people don't even want to preach on it. Because it, it, it basically says, you know, we have to be very careful that who we are in settings like this lines up in every other setting. And it is so critical for us to be consistent that when we're not, what it, what it communicates even greater detriment is that what we believe isn't true. And I think that's why it was a bottom line statement for Jesus. And so the first thing that we need to do is just look at the fruit of the voices of the people or things that influence us and ask ourselves, is it good? Because if it doesn't pass the fruit, fruit test, then there's a huge problem and chances are there's some, there, there's some lying going on or there's some perception management going on. So let's just walk into perception management for a second because as these teachings began to percolate in the lives of the people who were followers of Jesus, uh, it took on its own life in churches that were scattered around the Mediterranean world. And Paul even wrote about these things and described these very issues in light of false teachers that would come in and they would, they would avoid the, the red circle and they didn't have the, the, the blue circle, the fruit of the Spirit. And he said, they're very gifted, they're very convincing, they'll do Jedi mind tricks on you, church. Only listen at arm's length, look at the fruit. And what Jesus saw in the religious leaders was a lot of people who said a lot of things and were good at saying it. But let me ask you, when you think about Jesus as you've read the Gospels, if you've read the Gospel stories, what pictures come to mind? What image? When you, when you think of Jesus, do you think of a lot of words that he said or is there a, a particular picture or impression that you have? Just throw some out there. Holy. Holy? Okay. What else? Compassionate? Okay. What else? Anything else? Did you see him helping people? Almost everything that Jesus did was, you could probably boil it down to two things. One was, he was looking at people that said, I am nothing like God. I don't even have any reason to be close to God. And yet, Jesus is walking up to me and saying, I like you, and I want you to be a part of the things of God. And the difference was so great, you're like, this doesn't even make sense. But Jesus, there was not an unlikable person in Jesus' field of vision. There wasn't a person who, apart from the religious leaders who were taking people down the wrong path, there wasn't a person who was lost that Jesus said, you're not good enough, you're not worthy. He's trying to rescue all of them, mostly because they've been deceived, they've been misled. But he's also showing something that says, I have a different teaching and it takes on this form. You have a demon, I'm going to deliver you from that demon. And so he'll get up close and personal and he removes the demon. You have, a, you have a, an illness, he gets up close and personal, sometimes even spitting on the ground and making mud and rubbing it in a person's eyes and then that person can see. And there's just repeatedly all of these interactions that Jesus had that were just ground level ways of saying, 
my faith is about words, but it's even more about doing the things of God for the people who need that in their lives. And so Jesus took everything that the religious teachers were doing and turned it almost upside down. He didn't spend a whole lot of time teaching volumes and volumes of teachings because the Sermon on the Mount is about one of the few sermons that we even get. And if we get any sermons, unfortunately, unfortunately for me, but fortunately for him, he would have been done already up here. He would have said his things and then he would have sat down. Jesus was trying to embody all of the things that he taught in a way that worked itself out in the fruit of healing, of compassion, of coming alongside people, of just being real to people in ways that they had never experienced by a religious leader. And I think that's why people really just clung to him because in their gut they knew the fruit that's coming out of this man's life aligns perfectly with the things that we hear him saying. And it's so refreshing. But as Jesus is saying these words, he knows that his adversaries are religious fakes and phonies. But he realizes, I'm sure, and Paul discovered later on, that when he goes out into the culture, there are different voices that are trying to flim-flam people and lead them into... A a life that is so, so far away from God. So let's just show the next slide if we can. The Colosseum. Now this is something that Paul had in his backdrop as perhaps an adversary more so than religious leaders in some situations. Not all, but some. And that was the fact that this was an entertainment culture. Everybody was saying you at least need to go to the Colosseum once or twice A year, if not once or twice in your lifetime. You know, that is the entertainment... uh, uh, For lack of a better word, it's just the entertainment ground zero of everything. It is the place where you go to see the most entertaining things happen. And by this time, people had been so entertained that they had started to accept. Can you believe this? People started to accept the fact that when they were being entertained... It was cool to see people die. It was cool to see men go up against animals and just destroy them for blood sport. It was cool to see people attack one another and to sit there and wonder, who's going to win? Who's going to win? And the guy that didn't win is laying dead in a pool of blood on the ground. Can you believe that people are entertained like that? I mean, honestly... And Jesus said, be careful, because you'll get sucked into it as well. Paul said, be careful, you'll get sucked into it as well. And so the Romans were like, hey, if we, if we give people circuses and bread, we'll control the masses forever. Just keep them, keep them distracted. And people were getting circuses and bread and they were saying to themselves, man, this is wonderful. Our country's wonderful. Our government's wonderful. Oh, this is such an awesome place to live. But bad things were happening all around and in them and people weren't honestly happy. They were, they were longing for something else. So much so that, well, the Coliseum period came and went at its sort of 
apex before the whole thing collapsed, the sporting thing to do would be to take Christians and throw them in the arena and watch them get eaten by lions and watch them getting beat up by gladiators and watching them setting, putting oil on them and just lighting them on fire. Isn't that cool? Wouldn't that be exciting? How entertaining. And a lot of people had been sort of seduced and Jedi mind tricked into their own way of looking at entertainment and saying, everybody thinks this is good, must be good. Now when we look at our culture, everything that's going on in your head doesn't happen primarily from what happens in this room. Chances are, we're in a competition here with some stuff going on out there like the Apostle Paul was. I mean, for instance, I'm, I'm surprised you're even here because we're not a well-packaged deal. We're not, we're not the pinnacle of multimedia presentation. We don't have 3D going on here in any way except for just real 3D. We have, you know, it's pretty boring from the standpoint of entertainment standards. Why are you here? Unless... There's something inside of you that says that stuff out there, it's not real. But it presumes to be real in such a way that I start to act like what I see going on out there. So I I take it in. Let's just go to the next slide. I take it in. I read it. I watch it. I listen to it. And it starts to affect me in ways that at first seem appealing, but over time, well... I'm uneasy with myself. I'm, I'm just downright anxious. Matter of fact, I, I'm, I'm living in a country right now that has a record numbers amount of medications being pumped into the, the lives of the people who are there because they're just too darn anxious or too darn depressed about the things that are going on in their world. And I look at that and I say, that's some interesting fruit. You shouldn't be that way if... All the promises of what this awesome entertainment culture is stimulating you into, you should should feel pretty darn good about yourself. But for some reason, we're so distracted and so busy to stop and reflect a little bit about what's going on around us and say, hmm, what is the fruit of engaging in this stuff? of reading this stuff, of watching this stuff, of listening to this stuff. Am I happy? Am I content? Is it working out in my relationships? Am I pulling away from God? Well, maybe those things are not bearing good fruit. Maybe those things in Jesus' words are false prophets. You know what you read, you watch, you listen to. Let's move on to the next slide real quick. What goes in starts to come out. You know, you watch a reality show and then all of a sudden you're like, that must be a representation of how I should live. And you start acting accordingly. And you're thinking, it's not getting me where I need to go. And Jesus was familiar with actors. He saw some of the best. They were religious people. And they were good at perception management. And religious people... That is an occupational hazard in this job is to be good at perception management. 
to project to you a version of myself or a version of what this church is about in ways that behind the curtain is not. And it's very tempting because it's very powerful. And probably if you looked at my vocation, the three greatest, the holy evil trinity, money, sex, and power, you're either finding ways to benefit from it financially, looking for people of the other gender to exploit, or exercising power over the lives of people by perception management. These are all things that Jesus said, if you're doing those things, you're a false prophet. You're not the person that you say you are. Now one thing I can tell you is this. A lot of that stuff I've, I've settled. I mean, I have my sins for sure. I mean, all that internal stuff. You know, I, I go there sometimes. But mostly, Jesus is saying, learn to draw your boundaries. And live within those boundaries. Live within the covenantal boundary of your marriage. Live within the responsible boundary of what's yours and what's not yours. When you, when you are in a position of power o- over other people, that is really a responsibility to serve other people. Keep that straight in your head. And you'll never be accused. Well, for sure. And the Apostle Paul dealt with it. I mean, I, I don't want to bring up any names, but I, I think about, and, and, I, and I feel like I, I want to address it a little bit. I have a friend who is a Hispanic pastor, and he did a wonderful job managing a, a pretty huge crisis behind the scene, underneath the radar. Nobody knew about it. He didn't want anybody to know about it. He didn't want ABC, NBC, New York Times to know about it. Because the only thing he was interested in was being faithful to God and creating credibility in the eyes of the people that are part of his general culture. And that was it. But there's another pastor who said, come on over here, NBC, ABC, CBS, blah, blah, blah. And they said, did you do that? And he said, I did all that. And I'm watching this unfold and I'm like, God only knows and a few other people. But here's the thing. The person who said, I'm only about good fruit, will stand before the Lord and the Lord will say, I'm the ultimate audience in all of this. You can't perception manage with me. And besides, eventually your sins find you out. All of us. None of us. We all have that date with the thing that is a little bit further down the line that's not right with the Lord. And that's not a bad thing. It's God's way of saying, I'll bring it to the surface one of these days. Because what's in your heart will come out. The fruit that there that's there will say, this is what's been going on. That's why it's a hard thing to preach. Because none of us are perfect. But all of us have to realize that Jesus wants us to live lives in such a way that when people see us, they see him. 
And there's nothing worse than for us to say, look at me, this is what Jesus is like, and then visit me in my home at a time that is a surprise visit, and I'm not even aware that you're there for a while, and say, hmm, <laughs> that's a different guy. There's nothing that can kill what we do more than inconsistency. And that's why Jesus said, in the end, you know, it'll, it'll all be burned. Hopefully not, not us along with it. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about what you are bringing in in an entertainment culture because it's not just a church thing. It is a cultural thing. You see out there are voices that are trying to tell you this is the way. Come on, come on, you need to do this. I know the Bible says don't, don't do that or follow a different path, but you know what, the Bible's an old, it's an old book. It, it's not relevant anymore. It doesn't fit our way of life. It's, 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 it's best advice and things like that. But you know what I found after reading the Bible for 35 years? I still have to go back there to get my bearings. It's the only place, honestly... But I can keep perspective on the madness that's out here. And a lot of things I even came to discount a little bit. I'm like, I must be that old conservative guy I used to make fun of. Isn't it funny how the farther along you go, the more important boundaries truly become? The more your own duplicity surfaces and you've got to name it, you've got to own it, and then you've got to Deal with it with the Lord. And that's the good news in all of this because the difference between you and the religious leaders is you guys are in this room because you have a spirit of humility that says, I'm willing to come here and discover things about a God who was willing to die for me in the way that he did and love me despite who I am. I'm willing to be here. I have the humility to say, I don't want you to name my sins. I don't even want to name my sins. But I know over time God will, he'll deal with me. And he'll call them out and it'll be painful. But then he gives us something better to fill that space. When people speak the truth in love or the Bible speaks the truth in love, Sure, it's in the spirit of love because it ultimately cares about us being aligned with God, but it makes us pretty darn mad when we hear it. And Jesus is saying all that is bundled into the false messages that are going on around you. How do you know the fruit is good or bad? Is it adding to your well-being as a human being? Is it leading you closer to God? Is it helping you in your relationship with others, reconciling with others, hopefully treating others well? If that's happening, then you're probably on the right track. If it's not, and that fruit is just all sideways, then you know what God's saying? There's a way, there's a way back to where you need to go. Start here. Start with Jesus. Today. That's all you got to do. Broad is the way out there that is beckoning us in so many ways and we've tried it and we've had our rump spring up but you know what we like the narrow way and I, I like to kind of characterize the narrow way as there's Jesus just up ahead and there's me beginning my day and, I, and I'm just following him 
And it's amazing how that posture affects everything. Because if you're just looking at him, you're not paying so much attention to all the voices are saying, look here, look here, look here, look here, and wooing us in that direction. You're just following him, and you're like, Jesus, I know you're up ahead there. Should I do this? Should I go over there? Is that wise? And he'll tell you. He'll let you know. And even if you don't hear it the first time, and you listen to it, and you come back to him, he doesn't just say, stupid person, I told you so. No, he just says, let's just pick ourselves up, and let's get it right this time. And that's, that's the way of following him. And the message that we have here hopefully is embodied in the lives of the people that are here enough that what we're saying has some credibility. Because we all know that everything that we say unless we're not living it out is not going to go very far in your lives. And so what we've shared today is really just part of the process of following him, of being apprenticed in him. And let's just bump to the, to the last slide uh, because we're, we're, we're basically needing to land the plane here. You know, I was showing my son Christian how to replace a well pump, but I had never replaced a well pump before. And I told him, I said, I, I did read the wiki how, and I felt like that person was just finding a way to generate an income by doing a little research and saying, this is what you do. This is how you do it. And I could have said to Christian, this is all you need to do, Christian. Read the wiki how. I'll give you a test at the end. And then if you pass the test, then you're an expert like I am. And that, in effect, is wonderful, but it has nothing to do with the real world. And the religious leaders were saying, if you get all these things right, you'll pass. And Jesus is saying, that's all well and good, but it has nothing to do with the world. Because it's not about just getting the test right, spewing back the information, or getting everything in order perfectly. It is about whether or not you are following in the footsteps of Jesus and being apprenticed by him. Now, the only thing I could really apprentice Christian in in that whole endeavor, because it was a learn-as-you-go thing, is I had soldered before, and so I was able to teach him how to solder. And when he got done, he said... Dad, that was such a great time we had together. And the only thing that I could think of was we did something challenging together and he learned how to solder and he had some pride in what he did. And I think as a follower of Jesus, what you find is Jesus is saying, I, I want you to learn, but I also want you to do. Because it has to be connected to the activities of your life. And the more you do it, the more you'll take joy and pride in it. And I have to tell you, I've rubbed shoulders with a lot of people in this room. And I, I, you know, just like Christian and I had a bonding experience. Some of the richest bonding experiences I've had as a believer and a pastor here is through the stuff that I've been able to do with some of you. Just wonderful, great, enriching memories. And... Jesus is trying to tell us it's a lot better than you think. But it's hugely challenging and revealing when you start to do something that you're not very good at. And that's where grace fits in. His grace is more than sufficient 
Where we lack, it gives us the motivation to keep going. If we've sinned against him and we need to sort it out, he says, my grace is sufficient. Settle it with me or whoever you need to settle it with and let's keep going because there's a lot of road ahead that we need to take this journey on. And we just want to hopefully be an on-ramp for you on that journey. And so as I end this, I, I, want to, I, want to, I want to just bookend it with another prayer. Would you bow with me? Father, as I think about the gravity of what we've shared today and the, the responsibility of living consistently in a way that lends your word and your, your testimony through Jesus' credibility, I pray that my and all of the leaders here and everyone within this body, I pray that our testimony as well would be one that would be honoring to you. That people would look at us and say, there's something about that person that just resonates with me and I, 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 want, I, I want to go on that path. And I pray, Father, you help us to do that because there are so many people that have heard so many voices that are locked into things that are so destructive not even realizing that no one came up and told them, just look at the fruit, my friend. And I pray that if we need to look at fruit in our lives, that we need to ask, why is this happening? That you would give us the wisdom and insight to see what we've been feeding on and why it's creating this in us. And then replace whatever that is, Lord, with something that will produce good fruit, satisfying fruit, lasting fruit. I just pray for everyone who's gathered in this room that they could discover that. We're getting ready to, 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 to celebrate um, uh, just uh, worshiping you and being invited into your presence. And then we're going to reflect a little bit on our lives through the Lord's table and everything it embodies in your son. And I pray, Father, that you would just bless us in that process as well. And for all these things, we give you thanks.